we can say go innovate all day long. There's something called shut up signals and leaders give shut up signals. So a shut up signal, you can say go innovate. I can say to you, yeah, we value innovation here. And then five times in the meeting, I'll say, well, that's a bad idea. That doesn't work. Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today's guest is Kathy Cloats Guest, a storyteller, humor and business expert, and founder of Keeping It Human. In today's episode, Kathy shares how comedy can change the workplace. We talk about the conversations leaders should be having with their team and how improv can create psychological safety. We also talk about having a template mentality and how leaders should get creative with their approaches in order to build more trust. Lastly, Kathy explains how leaders give a shut up signal and what the difference is between yes and versus a yes but. If you found this episode helpful to your leadership journey, send me a note on Twitter. My handle is at Aiden, at A-Y-D-I-N, or just use the hashtag supermanagers on social. Now, without further ado, here's Kathy Cloat's guest on episode 66 of the Supermanagers podcast. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we were just chatting, and I think like we're going to talk about a lot of things related uh, to improv uh, during this discussion, but uh, you had mentioned that you've actually done quite a bit of stand-up comedy. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I still do. I actually started in uh, stand-up comedy right after college. I, uh, I was... Uh, in LA and I got this handbook. Uh, it's called the comedy Bible. Now I don't make money off of this. Uh, Judy Carter's comedy Bible, like read it ear to ear. And I started doing open mic nights, just started jumping in full, like head first before I knew what I was doing. And, uh, something clicked in me. I couldn't remember the first three or four times I was up there cause it was all a blur, but I just knew I, I needed to keep going. So I kept doing it. And of course that was like, you know, over 20 years ago and I still, I still do stand up and I, there's something magical about telling your story because comedy is storytelling and it's probably the most intimate storytelling you'll ever hear. I'm telling you what I think, who I am, my point of view in the world. And that's such a beautiful bond with the audience. So it's one of my favorite things to do. We're obviously going to be talking about how improv and all these things relate to leadership. But um, one thing, so you have, I guess, uh, had a pretty extensive leadership career. You've been at Autodesk, Gartner, Excite, uh, and you've now co-founded Keeping It Human. And, uh, and so what do you do at Keeping It Human at a high level? Uh, so I am the founder of Keeping It Human. And um, uh, Keeping It Human was founded to really bring the worlds of comedy and my business background together. 
So I knew that there was even back, you know, when I was still in tech and I was, you know, running teams in tech, I was like, you know, there's a better way to show up in the world. There's a better way to embrace our humanity and our humor and not to be ashamed or shy of it. There's a better way to talk to people like our marketing sucks because our culture sucks. And there's nothing more worse to me. Like how about a truth, right? As, as a comedian and a comedian sensibility, there's nothing worse to me than having a very crappy culture, a sucky culture where you don't respect people. And then all of a sudden trying to be funny in your marketing for customers when you treat your employees like garbage. And I think there's that disconnect and comedians are like, oh no, let's talk about that hypocrisy. <laughs> so for me, it was like, let's take these worlds and what if there was a better way to communicate, to show up, to impact culture. And that's what Keeping It Human was founded on, that, that belief that we could make business better by taking down that wall that, that somehow, I don't know how it got there, but the stupid artificial wall that's like, no, we can't have humor here. We can't have fun here. We can't, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I was like, we've got to, we've got to, because it sucks here. So that's really what I wanted to do was take down that wall. Yeah, that's super interesting. So I have to ask you, so when you first started, like, do you remember when, when it was that when you first started leading teams and and maybe some of the mistakes that uh, you had in those early days. I'm wondering if, if some of that relates to what you're doing now. Yes, because when I, uh, in my 20s, was all of a sudden thrust into managing teams, like I had no training, like probably a lot of us. It was like, she seems smart. She works hard. Like, let's just dump her in the deep end of the pool. And I was like, ah, <laughs> where's my pool noodle at? Where's my pool noodle? And I was like, no, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And like, I had no support. And I don't think that story is unique. I think for a lot of us who are kind of self-directed, we get thrown into these situations. So thankfully I had, I was doing comedy and stand up, you know, five, six nights a week. I already had some sense of emotional intelligence from the stage. Uh, Cause I wasn't getting it in companies. And I came up, as a Gen Xer, I came up in the age of you, maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, but some of your listeners will. There was a model of leadership, all the HBR, you know, the, the, the business literature at the time was like, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Right? What, what a crock of crap. Can we just say what a crock of crap? Because what you're doing is you're saying to your employees, I know you don't see the 360 that I do, but I want you to somehow have answers to things you've never seen before and don't come to me. And then you wonder why your team members never tell you anything. So then I was raised in that stupid, stupid mindset, that really, really old, like tired, you know, we got to get rid of it mindset. So I didn't know how to lead. And I remember that's how I was managed. So I tried that. It did not work. <laughs> And I remember thinking, of course it doesn't work because they don't know. They, co they come to me with a piece of the puzzle and they're asking me to help them fill it in. That makes sense. And I realized that that way of thinking was counterproductive. And so there was a whole lot of like m sort of mismanagement and ways of thinking about really old school militaristic management styles that were backward. And I think I discovered it because I was open enough as a, maybe being an outsider as a woman, being a comedian, having a comedian sensibility, being wired the way that I was, I was probably the perfect person to challenge that. And, and so what are ways, what are some ways that we can challenge that? Really ask yourself when, you know, I get it. We're, we're sort of, we're all sort of victims of the culture we're, we're in. 
I think the biggest thing that we can do is start to question these things. Why? If that's how you were sort of kind of groomed into leadership, maybe step back and ask yourself, why does that work? Why wouldn't it work? Try to find holes in it. Um, be open to the idea that the way that you sort of came up in management might not be the way that it should be. And be open to the fact that when people come to you and say that doesn't work, really be open to their experience because that doesn't work for everybody. So just be willing. I think the greatest gift you can be as a leader, as a manager, is to hear what your people are telling you. Because if they're telling you, if one, even one person on your team is willing to tell you, chances are they're not the only one who feels that way. Yeah, yeah you know, it's a very good point. And uh, I think, you know, part of it is that uh, we often look for like a template to run, right? Like, so basically something that has worked and just tell us what works, tell us the template so we can just run the template and, and hopefully it's just going to solve all the problems. And uh, you actually talk a lot about this, right? Like the template mentality. How do you know that if you're stuck in a template, like this is this is an actual question because there, there's this template mentality and then there's also just being authentically you, which we also just talked about. Such a great question. I think for me, it's the moment, am I listening to the person in front of me? Are, are they coming to me and telling me something I need to hear? Are they risking something? That's something, that's not nothing. Are they telling me something that I need to hear? Then the response, if, if my response is, hold on, uh, let me get back to you. I got to look it up in the in the HBR manual. Hold on, you know. If my response is that, then I'm I'm responding out of fear or I don't have the answer. And a far better way to do it is to just say, "That is a great point. That is a great question. I don't have the answer to be honest about it." And to say, "Let me noodle it with you. Let's see if we can come up with a solution." And I think the most honest thing we can do as leaders is be vulnerable. Say we don't know. We'll work on it together you know, somebody brings me a piece of the puzzle, uh, I can snap at them and try to go to the handbook or I can I can just be honest and say, look, you brought a piece of the puzzle that I I hadn't anticipated, it was unexpected. Let me, let's get back to you or let me figure out how right now we can sit down and talk about how, how that all fits together. And I don't have the answer, but let's see where we go. And I think that kind of openness is really I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't come up in leadership with that openness. I would have loved that. So for me, learning what I did come up with, I want to completely flip leadership on its head. And I really want to have those human moments of, I don't know, let's be vulnerable. Let's take a look at that. And rather than pretend that I got to have all the answers, isn't it far better to work with the person in front of you who's coming to you and risking something to tell you something? I think that's what leadership should be. Yeah, you, you know, you bring up a very good point. I think it's one of those, again, like templates that, that have been run that we, we've all learned that it's, yeah, you know, it's nice to be the powerful leader that has all the answers at all times. But even not responding to a question is actually somewhat hard, right? Because I think like we, we just have this bias to act almost as a question or problem comes up. Uh, but it's true that sometimes it's okay to say, well, I don't actually know the answer right now, but I will get back to you. And just basically noticing that in the moment is a useful, I guess, skill to develop. Mm -hmm. I think we this idea that somehow, because we're leaders, we have to have the answer at all times. It's just the most crazy, silly thing. Nobody has a, like, you know, like I talk to leaders sometimes they're like, well, I don't want them to 
think they don't know. And I'm like, I have news for you. They already know you don't know. <laughs> and look, they don't expect you to be perfect. Everybody already knows you're not, right? Got news for you, newsflash, you're not, everybody knows it. And I think those are the human moments that we can actually lean into with people if, if we're honest enough with them that actually most people go, wow, that, that took some guts and some courage and vulnerability. And I think those are the moments that we miss when we're trying to have all the answers. We miss these really fundamentally human moments that connect us. Um, and I, I just think it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kathy, one of the things that I know you're you're a big fan of is, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but if you want to say your marketing to be funny or your marketing to resonate really well, you have to start with actually treating your employees really well and nurturing them. I guess one of the questions that I had for you is from from all the different teams that you've worked with or teams that you've led, uh, when like what does nurturing actually look like when done really well? It's interesting because I've seen a lot of different styles in the world. And I think the the consistent outcomes that I've seen is that your team is willing to say what's not working and I've seen a lot of leaders dismiss it, but if you're if you're at a point where your team is willing to say, well, I don't, let's let's talk about that, um, that may mean that there's trust. Now you don't want a bunch of people dismissing things out of hand. That can go too far. But I think if you have a, a group of people that are willing to try, to fail, to know that they can take risks to know that they can bring up uncomfortable things in a respectful way. You don't want total like, you know, anarchy, but but in a respectful way, that's actually a really good sign that they feel comfortable enough with you because they don't fear reprisals. That's actually a really good sign. So I think the, the question really comes down to is how do we make people feel safe enough to where they can take these risks, try new things, um, experiment, uh, and not be blamed or shamed or, you know, uh, you know, any of that stuff. So starting to build that kind of trust is the difference. It's everything. Yeah. And, and can you think of like an example or something that people can very tactically start doing to, I guess, n- nurture that trust in their teams? I think it really starts with having open conversations about challenges and letting people know really openly it's okay to fail. Here's what failure looks like. Here's what your degree of freedom is. Here's what it looks like to experiment. Because a lot of times um, what happens is, you know, we all get innovation horny. <laughs> innovate, innovate, innovate. Right? But what does it mean? I mean, most teams never discuss what the parameters of innovation look like. I mean, I can tell you right now that eight out of 10 teams that I deal with They've never had an open conversation of what, okay, go innovate. All right, that's right, you say that a lot. But what happens if we fail? How many signatures do I need before I go experiment on social media? Can I? People don't know because it's never openly talked about. So don't assume that your team even knows what's safe. Chances are, if you've never talked about it, they don't know. So start to normalize those conversations. What does it look like? What's okay to experiment with? What, where are the boundaries? Um, what would be an acceptable risk? What if you're saying that, that experimentation is part of their job? And by the way, it should be everybody's job. Okay, what does that look like? How much of their week can they devote to what? What is a, me- what is a successful measurement look like? Are they responsible for certain KPIs or is it okay to just experiment and not expect 
expect anything from that. Have these open conversations, and I promise you start, start there, because I'm willing to bet most of the managers out there have never had that kind of conversation with their team. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very good um, way to put it. One of the things that I know a lot of teams do, and like we certainly do, uh, is just uh, building out you know, some of these things as, as practices or rituals. So for example, we have a hackathon uh, internally, and it's not just for developers uh, either. Everybody gets to uh, participate. And so the idea is that you will work on things that you don't normally work on and, you know, try something new, like try a different ad format or try like going out and forming a partnership or, you know, try something that, you know, you normally won't do. Uh, and it, again, like there, there, there's no point other than to encourage everybody to experiment. And so this has been something really successful for us. And it kind of just like is one of the many things you can do to nurture I think. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. I love that because that's a very tangible thing. And I think the question is your your people really just need the the uh, the, the details filled in because um, it's just that fuzziness keeps people stuck. And uh, I did a study with a, a large B two B client last year when COVID hit, and we went out and we asked their employees, their partners, and we did this study that. Uh, was taken uh, a survey taken by thousands of, of their employees across the globe. And what came back confirmed everything we thought that um, uh, most of the time people don't innovate and they don't take risks. They will tell their boss that they feel overwhelmed and they don't have enough resources. And yet, yet we know that creativity constraints breed creativity. And then when I ask them in another question, okay, forget about what you tell your boss, what do you really think it is? And like three quarters of the respondents, three quarters said, here's what I think it is. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid of judgment. I'm afraid to take the risk because their boss had not made it safe to do that. So again, you can never enough make make your people by example, not just talking about it, but by example, uh, make them feel safe. So there is no going overboard and over communicating when it, when it comes to safety. They need to know because when fear is really high, the do nothing option becomes their default. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think like there's probably like some really good ways to, to emphasize this whenever like there is a big blunder in the workplace, like don't go out scolding, um, you know, because if you do that, that basically eradicates everything that you've ever said on that topic. Or even if like something was tried, it was very ambitious, you know, but it failed, maybe even talk about that in a town hall uh, and just say, hey, we tried, it didn't work, but you know, th- that, 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 that's why, like we try these things and sometimes they work and other times they don't. Yeah, Intuit, for example, uh, has what they call these failure parties. And I love that they ritualize it because they're not about the shame of the failure. They're about the, what did we learn? And their goal with these failure parties is to celebrate that people took a risk, a, a, a quantifiable risk. And then what did we learn? And then the, the party is really to celebrate the knowledge, the diffusing of the knowledge throughout the organization. All right, here's what we learned. And so the other parts of the organization go, that's interesting. Now I know what not to do. And so when you, when you take away the fear but you celebrate it and you normalize it, man, that makes such a difference. Hey there, before moving to the next part of the interview, quick interjection to tell you about 
one of the internet's best kept secrets, the Manager TLDR newsletter. So every two weeks, we read the best content out there, the greatest articles, the advice, the case studies, whatever the latest and greatest is, we summarize it and we send it to your inbox. We know you don't have the time to read everything, but because we're doing the work, we'll summarize it and send it to your inbox once every two weeks. And the best news, it's completely free. So go on over to fellow.app/newsletter and sign up today. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. Um, one thing that I think is is related um, is just connecting this concept of improv and psychological safety. So, uh, you know, we talked about comedy and we talked a little bit about improv before, but I'd love for you to, like this concept of like improv in the workplace, um, I'm, I'm not sure that most people understand it. So I'd love for you to just like give us a primer uh, on what it is and, and how it can work. So sure, um, you know, improvisation um, really epitomizes what psychological safety is. And psychological safety is that sense that people can go out and they can make mistakes, they can admit a failure without fear of uh, retribution. That's psychological safety. And we want that in our teams because that's foundational to uh, high-performing teams and innovation and all that stuff. We all want the creativity. We all want that. Um, when push comes to shove, is it there or not? And improv culture from the stage is all about psychological safety. How we build scenes is that we're able to, somebody tosses an idea, instead of arguing over the idea, somebody else yes ands it, what we call yes and. And, oh my gosh, that, let, I want to get buried. Yeah, okay, a bear and a cat, why not? It's never been done before, but let's do this thing. Come on, let's just... Let's just have babies. Let's just have bear cat babies. And someone else goes, oh my gosh, yeah, let's do that. And then let's like build a house in the woods. And someone else is like, yeah, we can make it like an Airbnb. We got Goldilocks, like be our spokesperson. And then we can, and then you end up in this crazy place because in this beautiful world, there was no, I didn't like that idea. I didn't like that. No, 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 no. Yes, but we yes and it, and we just kept building on. And the best innovation is a yes and mindset. So that kind of psychological safety that we create in our team is exactly the kind of discipline and psychological safety that we need in business teams. It's no different, it's no different. So this improv mindset, this improv mindset of yes anding and agreeing with your partner and exploring and not tearing down and, and yes budding, but yes anding, all these disciplines belong in high performing teams. So that that's really the connection and it's foundational. And more and more people I think are understanding that, oh yeah, that's it. It's not about being funny. I mean, yes, improv will make you funnier. The reason it makes you funnier is because when you feel safe, you're not afraid to take big risks. The, the, the humor is organic because if I know that everybody has my back, no matter what crazy idea I just said, Hell yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to that crazy place, <laughs> and that's the real gift of thinking like improvisers. And we're all improvisers anyway. I mean, we all adapt and pivot every day. So I'm of the belief that even though we might not call ourselves that, everybody in life and business is already an improviser. Yeah. No, this is really interesting. One of the like it, one of the things that's for me, uh, this makes a lot of sense. And right away is any form of brainstorming meeting. Um, where you're trying to come up with a solution or something creative, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. How does this play in, you know, how do we make this, you know, more a way that we do things in other types of meetings? Well, 
it is it is about meetings. It's also, I think, a culture thing. I, I think it's less about brainstorming. I think when we think about improv, we defer to like, oh, idea brainstorming. And that's true. That's one application for it. But I actually think yes and is a culture mindset. It's a culture mindset. So the the the, the way that it kind of shows up in meetings is are we listening? When somebody has an idea, are we listening? When somebody um uh yes buts it'll shut down. Are we aware? Are we truly listening to how people are showing up? So part of that yes and mindset is listening to the tone of, of how people are showing up. And today with COVID, you know, culture is, is tricky and people are seeing the world kind of burning. And in, in corporations across, you know, the world, People are scared. They are. They have fear. And are we as managers listening to the way that they're expressing that fear? And a yes and mindset would be listening and making a safe place for people to, you know, express that. So connect before we get to the content of the meeting. We have to connect and listen to what people are saying before we can get to the content. And that could, that could transform meetings. It could transform culture all over the place. Yeah, so, so that's really interesting. I guess it's, uh, it, it also you know, it extends into you're in a, a one-on-one and someone comes and says, hey, I have this idea about how to improve this particular thing. Like maybe your default reaction is, no, that's not a great idea because blah, blah, blah. But I can, I can see how it can be something that extends across uh, all the different interactions you have with, with people. Yeah, all the time, all the time. I mean, your family, your friends, yes and. I mean, yes and is the language of business. Think about it. A customer comes to you and says, this isn't working. What do you do? Do you say yes, but? Or do you say, yes, I hear you. I acknowledge that first version wasn't the best. And let's figure it out together and move it forward. That's the language of customer service, right? So yes, and is, is, is foundationally written in our business contract. And yes, and, by the way, doesn't mean you have to do it. I know everybody thinks their ideas are genius and everybody else's is crap. <laughs> but I have news for y'all. We've all yes, butted, and we all have been yes, butted, And it shuts us all down. And so what yes, and says is, look, this idea that we're creating might not work. However, for purposes of just exploring, I'm just exploring. So let's not primarily and prematurely shut it down. Let's explore and let's just see where it goes because you don't know. And how many ideas ideas have we maybe shut down prematurely because we just thought, no, it's a bad idea. Well, how do we really know? How do we really know? And, And what Yes And asks us to do is to withhold judgment just a little bit. It doesn't mean all ideas are equal. It doesn't mean we're going to go do all ideas. Well, think what a yes and mindset would do for our relationships too. If we yes anded people who came to us and wanted to be heard and just they just want to be acknowledged. And think about a yes and versus a yes but. How would that transform your conversations? I mean, it's really fundamental. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I think the, and you can tell me if I'm on the right track here, but if you work at an organization and as the management, as a senior leadership, one of the things that you're thinking is, you know, it seems like I'm really driving the train here in terms of all new ideas and new initiatives. And like, it feels like we're doing all the heavy lifting from a 
you know, generating new ideas or new approaches, it, you, you might benefit from, uh, you know, basically building this culture of improv and also psychological safety. It's not that you're the only ones with good ideas. You're just not creating an environment where those ideas will get to you. Amen. It, when I hear this, my first reaction is, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then typically, to your point, I'll find out that it's not that there aren't great ideas. It's just that they're not listening. They're not listening. They've made it unsafe. Somewhere Somewhere, people um, have gotten the message that their ideas weren't welcome. So guess what? People aren't stupid. They, they stopped innovating. They stopped coming up with new ideas. And if, if an organization or a, lead, a group of leaders tells me that, I know from experience, chances are that, because uh, I've seen great ideas come from everywhere. You and I both know that. It just says to me that that leadership team is probably somewhere along the line, not intentionally, but through their actions, they've probably made it unsafe. And people have said, I'm just going to stop trying. I'm just going to stop trying. And here's the thing. We don't give, we can say go innovate all day long. There's something called shut up signals and leaders give shut up signals. So a shut up signal, you can say go innovate. I can say to you, yeah, we value innovation here. And then five times in the meeting, I'll say, well, that's a bad idea. That doesn't work. So what do people listen to? The go innovate or the shut up signals? Yeah. Intuition signals, and and I think in those instances, probably those leaders are very um, in denial about the shut up signals that they've been sending. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I like the word shut up signals because it's exactly what you said. Like they'll try it a few times, but then you know, if every time yeah. you do something, you get a shut up signal, you might stop going forward. Right, and it's there's the like the Kathy we said go innovate, and like mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's look at the number of times you you gave shut up signals, and they're they're stunned. They're really stunned, and I think in a good way is once you get them to see the gap. And that's what comedy is, right? The gap between what you want and what you have, right? All the companies that are like, we believe in innovation. Like, cut to the meetings. That's a crappy idea, Bob. Shut up and go get some coffee, right? That comedy, that juxtaposition, is why it's so palpable. Is that. A lot of times leaders, we will say one thing, but people feel very differently. So somewhere along the line, there's a gap. There's a gap in the reality. And you can't really move forward until you address that gap. And comedy, by the way, is very good how I get a lot of leaders on board. Let's talk about that. I mean, it's funny. It's also painful and it's true. But let's figure out why there's this big gaping hole in your innovation. You know, this is very interesting. And I really like your definition of comedy there, which is, I guess, like uh, you said, it's it's the gap between what you want and where you are. I'm curious, like, I mean, you've talked a lot about this, right? And I, I get the sense that it probably is going to come down to a lot of the micro habits that you've built as, as a leader. So how, how do you insert more comedy in the workplace or how do you make the workplace more fun? So I, I think it really is about that. It's about more truth and more psychological safety because you're going to have organic fun, right? I always um, joke that, you know, uh, nobody puts on a party like HR, right? <laughs> It's like, eh, nobody wants to come to a mandated, you know, fun by MBO. That, no, no. Um, and so it, there has to be an organic, honest sense that the, the, the leaders get it and care about people. Because then the signals are, 
yeah, we really do back up what we say. So I think the way to think about it is how do we get rid of the shut up signals? Um, fun is blocked by all these shut up signals. If you are kind, if you are honest with people, if you are transparent as a leader, if you value people and you tell them exactly how they're going to be measured and then you actually measure them according to the actual way you said and you have credibility, then what happens is that trust, that trust and that truth leads to organic fun. Um, fun will never flourish um, when there's low trust. It just can't. And I've been in organizations that are like, hey, you know, we're going to fire 15% of our workforce. I'm like, well, did they deserve it? No, it's just that we think it's a good thing to do, right? Because, you know, we want to like, it's the sort of the the, the Jack, uh, what was it, Jack Welch, uh, GE, he innovated this cut the bottom 10, 15% just because which with no, with no like human kind of thought, just do it. And so these old kind of ways of thinking, you know, you go into that kind of mentality, where's the trust? People don't trust, right? And then they wonder why people don't want to come to a party. And they, they wonder why, you know, uh, how do we get our employees more engaged, Kathy? We don't understand it. Uh, let me break it to you. <laughs> like, like, you know, you just laid off, you know, 10, 15% of your people for, for no reason. And then all of a sudden you think you can put a bandaid on a hemorrhage by having a beer party. Like, are you kidding me? Like there's the comedy. So I think we have to just be very honest. So if you want fun to flourish, respect your people, be honest with your people, create that trust because now organic, honest fun has a chance. You know, this is very, very interesting. Uh, you're right that it can't be just a, you can't kind of like look at the um, on a very topical level and say why didn't people come to this party? Maybe maybe the entertainment wasn't so good. Uh, you know, it's probably something much more deeply rooted and, and systematic. Um, you know, I, one of the other things that you you also talk about is um, how play is tied into self-awareness. And I, and I kind of like draw this back to what we started the conversation with, which was, you know, if you're a stand-up comedian, one of the things that you have to be really good at is, is being self-aware, being able to, to speak a truth. Um, so, I, so I'm curious, like, what are some, like, if someone wants to go away today with uh, just a practical, tactical thing that they can do in their interactions in the coming week, uh, what's some way that they can uh, be a little bit more playful? Um, being playful, I'd say um, have an attitude of lightheartedness. Uh, you know, if there's the elephant in the room that people are kind of uneasy, you know, we've all started the meeting, the world's burning down. Maybe don't just jump right into like, all right, what, what's everybody, uh, what's on everybody's agenda today? Maybe read the room. All right, everybody, I know it's been a, a tough like last couple week or so. How's everybody feeling? Give me one word. How's everybody feeling? Okay, go around the word or, or around the, the, the room and ask for one word. Let people opt out if they're not feeling it. This is really important. Mandatory play violates every principle of organic play. Um, let them opt out. But when you make it safe and you make it a way that everybody can contribute. It's not about one-liners or doing stand-up. It's about everybody contributing. Um, maybe doing an improv activity. Maybe you're building a story one word at a time and you're laughing, you're getting warmed up. 
now you can create this sense of just laughter and recognition that, you know, things are, are hard, but you're having a moment to connect. Take that moment to connect, honestly connect, and then get to the content of your meeting. And, and just little things like that over time will start to build trust because it signals to the people in the room that you actually care how they're doing. And no amount of like, you know, happy fun time will ever take root if people sense you're not legit and you're not for real and that you don't care. Yeah, that's that's actually really, really, really good advice. Uh, Kathy, I know we're, we're coming up uh, against time here. This has been incredibly insightful and it's very, very cool. It's not very often that you get to marry these uh, two different aspects from you know, improv and comedy into leadership. So, so this has been uh, a treat. Um, one of the questions that, that we ask all of our you know, guests on the show is for all the managers and, and leaders out there constantly looking to get better at their craft, um, are there any tips, tricks, resources, or just final words of wisdom that you'd like to leave them with? Absolutely. I know it's a hard job. They have a hard job right now. And your people are, need you and you need them. Uh, embrace your imperfections, make it safe. Take an improv class. I really do believe um, that, you know, certainly, you know, there's there's plenty of improv out there. Take an improv class, start to learn to play so that you're, you, you can take what you do seriously, but you don't have to take yourself seriously all the time. You don't have to. And I think when you start to open up and show that side of yourself, it changes the dynamics in the room. It really does. So maybe take an improv class, play, make play part of how you show up, connect before content, and make it safe for people to do the same. Uh, you know, really just humanize yourself as much as possible. And yes, yes, of course, I'm going to say go take a comedy class or an improv class. <laughs> It will. It, it will. It will change how you show up. And I believe that leadership starts with us and how we show up. And that's a great place to end it. Kathy, thanks so much for doing mm -hmm. this. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Super Managers Podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app slash supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please, tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.